The Antidote has been joined by Peter Johnston. Thanks for coming, Peter. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You took on the name Peter Johnston RVA for your music project. Why not use your actual last name? So, sort of a funny story. So my, my real name is Peter DeLayman. Um It's not the easiest name to say or read when you see it. Um, so that's part of it. But the other reason, it's a little bit of a nod to my mother, actually. Um, my mother was a music teacher, um, and she's still alive and, and doing great. But it was a little bit of a nod to her. Um, she was always an inspiration in terms of music for me. Unfortunately, I never took advantage of learning directly from her, even though she was a teacher. I didn't really get into music till I was about 17 years old or so. Um, but she was very encouraging once I did. She was adopted and adopted by a great, you know, loving family. And But she had connected with her biological family. Her mother and father had passed by that point, but she was able to connect with two sisters that she has, as well as um, some, you know, extended family. And their name was Johnston. And it just so happened that they were very much into you know, ancestry and, and looking up the history of the family and, and that sort of thing. And it just so happened that the very first person to America uh, of their family descent was one Peter Johnston, and he actually settled in Virginia. And I'm not from Virginia originally, but it was just one of those funny coincidences. And just the story of, of Peter Johnston, he came to America in the 1700s and, you know, it was a tough life making your way. And um, he was captured by an Indian tribe that was in the Ohio area and had almost died a couple times. And it's just one of those things where you kind of sit back and look at the history and you say, you know, if, if just one thing went slightly different, you know, I wouldn't be here. My mom wouldn't be here. All these different things. I chose the name a little bit in, in awe and wonder at life in general, just all the things that sort of have to line up and uh, how all the stars have to align for somebody to actually come about in this life. And unfortunately, I think we take it for granted a lot. Um, but if you really stop and think about it, it, you know, just being alive and and being in this world is just such a miraculous thing that, that I'm constantly in awe of it. So that was that was sort of the other angle uh, in terms of the name. And then, of course, RVA was attached to it. That's just uh, sort of a, a abbreviation for Richmond, Virginia, that's used frequently here. So I figured there's there's a few Peter Johnsons out there. So I, I went ahead and added the RVA to uh, make it specific to to my location here. Musicians often feel driven to create. What about your story? What was the inspiration for Peter Johnston RVA? Sure. Well, I've I've been kicking around the the Richmond indie scene. I guess it's close to twenty years now. It's been a while, but it's a great you know scene. I played with lots of of great people. And but in terms of I guess my my background and and Catholic Christian belief and things like that, I've always wanted to do a project like this. But just the various groups that I've been playing in up through the years, it just was never sort of appropriate, but it was a, a project that I always wanted to do. Um, really, the pandemic kind of brought it about. I had a little bit of downtime and was able to spend some time doing some home recordings. And um, there's a recording engineer here in town, and he had all of his sessions canceled, and he was he was struggling looking for work. Um, and I was able to, to do a lot of the tracking on my own at home, and he happens to be a drummer as well. So we basically were swapping a lot of files back and forth. And um, before I knew it, we had seven songs that were completely recorded. And so it just seemed like the perfect time to get this project uh, sort of off the ground and running. Um, but I guess the general message behind most of the the songs, or I guess the main focus of it, is really to just try and draw inspiration from Catholic Christian tradition and history. And it's just such a deep and beautiful well of art and writings and all sorts of great things to really be inspired by. So that's where I'm trying to draw most of the inspiration for the music and the cover art. Um, 
And I guess also a main theme in a lot of the songs is just that life is fleeting and, you know, we need to live it well and, and prepare ourselves for the for the next life and everything like that. So it, I try and, you know, keep the music in the indie rock vein, which is, I guess, my first love in terms of the type of music, but also blend it with a message that I hope is meaningful for some folks that listen to it. Well, there you just spoke about being Catholic, and that's what makes you stand out from the crowd, Peter. Because the Christian music scene, it's dominated by Protestants, especially evangelicals. Sure. Do you know of any reason why there's so few Catholics involved in faith-based music? It's a good question. I, I, I tend to think that part of it may be just the way that, you know, Protestant Christian services, you know, especially the ones like you mentioned that are evangelical, I guess they, they tend to weave in, I guess, a little bit more contemporary music versus in Catholicism, Orthodox, things like that. It's a little bit, you know, more traditional in terms of the the song choices. Um, and I guess the music in general just tends to be a little bit more dated, which I love. I really do enjoy the reverent aspect of it. So I, I guess it, it probably feels a little bit odd for maybe a lot of Catholics to try and blend those two things just because they're, I guess they feel a little bit more compartmentalized versus in some of the, the Protestant churches which I don't have a problem with at all. I think that's a beautiful and wonderful thing too. And um, certainly inspires a lot of Christian music. Um, my guess at least would be that that might be where um, the difference is in terms of the number of, of, of Catholics out there. Um, but it's funny for the the first record that I put out earlier this year, I put it out on Easter actually. And there's a cover of Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, which is an ancient folk tune, I guess, that most people know when they hear it. I think it's a German um background in terms of where it originated from and then the lyrics came along later on in time um but i was in mass one day listening to that song and you know it was with a very traditional big huge pipe organ sound and i was thinking to myself i was like you know this would sound really cool with a big uh you know wall of guitars sort of rock arrangement and that was sort of the the linchpin for really running with the the theme of the first record um and I just, I love, you know, taking some of the older, you know, art, tradition, songs, all of that stuff and sort of giving a, a little bit of new life just because I feel like, you know, as we move further and further away from a lot of that stuff in time, it tends to be forgotten, not necessarily on purpose or anything like that, but just as, you know, things end up in the public domain and a certain, you know, hundreds of years pass, people forget about it. So to me, it's just, it's like this deep well that you can keep constantly draw from, from inspiration. I, I'm really enjoying it so far. Usually when I talk about older songs, I'm talking about something from the 1950s. But, I mean, praise to the Lord Almighty, that's from the 1600s. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's old. That's not the only one. We're going to talk about old. Let's talk about really old. You brought in something 1,500 years old. Where did the idea come from to give an indie rock sound to Of the Glorious Body Telling? Sure. So... That was another one. It was actually um, through Lent, and it's a, a song that you hear on, on Good Friday. Um, and the melody was so beautiful, and you usually hear it as a Gregorian chant in terms of how that's usually sung. Um, but I was just hearing sort of this acoustic guitar-based interpretation of it. Um, and, I, and one of the things I do, and hopefully it, um, I, I do it properly in terms of um, I'll, I'll sort of reorganize some of the words sometimes to, or the lines, I guess I should say, in order to make it fit to the melodies and things like that. Um, but it was one of those songs where I heard it and it's going in my head with guitars and drums and bass while I'm hearing the, you know, sort of the Gregorian chant version of it at mass. 
it just the beauty of the melody. I, I love it. Um, and so I started looking up the history of it a little bit more just to try and find out, you know, where it came from and um, a little bit more, you know, digging into the lyrics a little bit more. But um, it was one of those that as soon as I sort of heard it in my head, I had to somehow get it out in a recording. And so I was able to to do that within a couple of weeks of, uh, of Good Friday when I'd heard it. Something I really enjoy about the music of Peter Johnston, RVA, is that it has substance. I mean, it draws on writings closely tied to the Catholic faith. One quote you've included comes from St. Augustine. The confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. That doesn't sound at all really like today's society. You know, we never want to admit that we're wrong. Do you think that quote still applies? Absolutely. And and St. Augustine is just such an interesting figure, you know, especially for these times, you know, going from ardent sinner to ardent Christian and, you know, with such a deep love for, for Christ. Um, I, I think it applies more than ever. I think one of the things that we as humans are really good at doing is rationalizing things and figuring out, you know, no matter what it is, good, bad or otherwise, if we sit and think about it long enough, we can figure out a way to justify it to ourselves. And so, that quote I chose just as sort of a, a little bit of an underlying theme in the the new EP being the, the city of God. But I thought that was a really powerful quote because I know in a lot of therapies and things like that, one of the first steps is admitting, you know, whatever your issue or your problem is, that's sort of the first step on on the way to recovery or getting better at something. And, and so I, I really do think it's very applicable today that you know, un- until you, you know, speak or write or, or say whatever it is that, that we acknowledge it, it's, it's very powerful to say it. Once we do say it and it's out there, I think it becomes more real and it's something that you can't, you know, allow your mind to, to justify or just sort of, you know, push away from, you know, your thoughts. So I, I do think it's very applicable, um, especially in today's world. I'm sure it was when, when St. Augustine said it as well, but definitely today as well. I went for a hunt online about your music, and I found an interesting review by Django Pop Hub. Mm -hmm. And they said, the overall aesthetic might feel just that tad too weird upon initial listens. Let's have you tell us, what kind of acceptance has your music found? Sure, it's a little bit all over the map. I think, you know, in general... I think there's a little bit of a curiosity about it. I mean, certainly I'm not the first one to do something like this. I mean, I think, you know, strong Christian imagery is in a lot of great indie rock, you know, whether it's Sufjan Stevens or, or Damian Gerardo. Um, I've been listening a lot to uh, the band Luxury in recent years, St. Seneca. All of them, I think, have very strong imagery. And I think it's it's one of those things where, being a musician in general, especially songwriters, I feel like they're always sort of reaching and grasping for the eternal, right? I mean, that's sort of what writing a song is. You're trying to make something that that outlasts you. And so I think there's a natural curiosity among people who are really into music. And I often view religion as philosophy also. And so I think there's just sort of a natural interest in it. Um, And so I, I have gotten... I guess a uh, pretty good feedback on this project more so than anything else that I've probably ever done. Cause I guess there's a little bit more of a, a story to it. And certainly the art tends to stand out a little bit more than some other stuff that's out there. But I actually really love that review saying that it was a little bit too weird. Cause just coming from, you know, sort of a, a punk rock background as a kid, at least, um, you know, that gives you a little bit of pride to feel like you're a little bit different. And I, and I really do think that, you know, being a Christian artist and a Catholic Christian artist in particular, it's 
at least in today's world, it does feel um, pretty countercultural. And so I like to think of Christian rock, if it's made with the right intentions and, and what I'm trying to do as well, um, it definitely feels sort of like a, a punk rock element to it, you know, just in terms of substance as well as uh, at least an influence in the sound. I guess we should make people aware that you do not have horns growing from your head. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> okay, you spoke about luxury. You spoke about punk music. You know what the thing I keep hearing, especially on a couple of your songs like Lover of Mankind, it reminds me of Starflyer 59. I'm a big fan of them as well. I, I had a radio show in college with one of my uh, good friends, and Starflyer 59 was definitely one of the frequent songs that would show up in our playlist. So I've been following him for a while. I sort of fell out of a couple records between you know the late 90s and um, say 2010 or so. But the the last record, the the full length from 2018, just floored me. I I really love that record a lot. I almost wonder how close you could be to burnout because here it is. You've done two EPs in a single year. That's insane. <laughs> Well, my goal, actually, my hope anyway, is that I might be able to put out three records a year of varying lengths. It'll kind of just depend on what the topic of them will be. But one of my resolutions at the start of the year was to try and record as much music as I could, because it may only end up being a recording uh, project for the most part. And so I was hoping to keep the output fairly strong without you know, sacrificing quality, hopefully. Um, but that is the goal. So yeah, I guess the first record was seven songs, and then the new one is three. And I've got two that are lined up for a release that I'm, I'm probably going to try and do before the end of the year, sometime around Christmas or a little before Christmas. So um, we'll see if I can keep it up. That the, the target, at least, is to try and do three releases a year. So that means you're telling us that you don't struggle to write music like every other artist struggles? Oh, it definitely happens. And, you know, it's funny. One of the reasons why I think, you know, that sort of pushed me to do in the, the two songs that we already talked about from the first record, um, it was easy to do those because uh, usually lyrics are what I struggle with the most. I mean, I can get the job done in sort of a workmanlike fashion, but I definitely go through those those dry spells in terms of being able to write. And so... Um, that's one of the reasons why I felt like I try and draw on the inspiration that I can just because it helps me sort of move the songs along. Um, but to your point, though, I, I definitely have those times where it is definitely difficult to write. Um, but fortunately, I guess for what I've tapped into for now, it, it, uh, I'm really excited because I've, I've got a handful of ideas coming up for the, the next couple records, at least. As I'm reading through your song lyrics, is that this guy has to be very well read. What do you enjoy getting into? It's funny because I mentioned I got into music a little bit late. I was about 17 years old. And so it was just before I'd gone off to college. And, and that was really the first time where I was, you know, faced with a choice. I was brought up, you know, Catholic my entire life. I knew what I believed. But really, right around the time I hit college was when I started digging into why do I believe this? And so at the same time, I was just learning how to write music and play music. Um, I was also sort of on this quest to learn more about the history. And, you know, a lot of people view Christianity as a, you know, a bunch of rules made up by old guys that are trying to keep people down. But I knew there was so much more than that. I mean, it's got a 2000 plus year old history and, you know, theologians. And I mean, they're, the, they're some of the most learned people, at least as far as I can tell, in the history of the world. I mean, they're not, you know, ignorant people who, you know, were persuaded easily or things like that. I mean, we're talking about very, very deep thinkers. So 
Um, I knew there was a lot of depth to it. So I, I sort of started digging into scripture, but also, you know, the catechism of the church, understanding, you know, why, why the church takes, you know, positions on all these different things. Um, and then that sort of led me to learning more about the history of the church. And I, you know, started to, to be curious more about the Orthodox faith as well, since that, you know, for the first thousand years, at least it was all one unified church. And then of course there was the, um, the split between the Orthodox and the Latin Rite church uh, around 1054. And so I, I got really into that. And so I've, I feel like I've, always on a quest to learn as much about the older era of the church just because it was so, you know, that was the bedrock for everything and, and how everything sort of came about. Um, so I could read on that forever. And, you know, in terms of nonfiction, where I feel like I, I dig into stuff. And then I'm a big fan of uh, Dostoevsky, Chekhov, a lot of, um, you know, Eastern European authors as well. It's a big compliment to at least come across as being well read. I, I know I've read some, but I know that you know there's certainly uh, there's a lot more people out there that are way more well read than I am. But um, but when I'm able to, those are the things I sort of dig into the most is sort of uh, of church history and then things in the vein of, of Dostoevsky. I really enjoy. I struggle with all the names in in Dostoevsky's work particularly, but um, but the stories are always fantastic. <laughs> Or things like Tolstoy, you know, trust, try right. to keep the 150 characters straight. Exactly. <laughs> it's a challenge. Something that you've written ties together quotes from Cornelius Elapida and Pope John Paul II. Christ shines in the darkness by the light of reason, by the voices of creatures, which all cry aloud that there is a creator and he ought to be worshipped and loved. It's only with this knowledge that we can form a fruitful alliance between gospel and art while having the courage to truly be not afraid. I know that in medieval times, art and faith went hand in hand, but do you think that's still true today? Uh, certainly for me, I feel that way. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before the interview about travels and, and um, places I've been to in Canada and, and you know, being in nature like that is one of the most awe-inspiring moments for me to know that, you know, all of this was put here and, and sort of harkening back to that quote, it, it's almost everything in nature sort of, you know, screams that there is a creator that, I mean, you know, as humans on this earth, I feel like it's all entrusted to us. And we, you know, we do a good job at, you know, being able to take what's here and nurture it and replicate it, you know, in terms of life, but in terms of actually being the author of life, you know, that's not something that we can do. And so um, I, I do think that quote is, is just a very beautiful summary of that sentiment. I think that tied in really well with a lot of the writings of Pope John Paul II. Um, he found Christ and God in everything. And, and one of the big inspirations for this project also was sort of an open letter that he had written to artists. Um, I think it was in 1999, um, you know, just sort of asking artists to create what he called a revolution in the arts that, you know, brings the gospel and brings Christ to the world through art. And that spoke very deeply to me, particularly as a college student and, you know, really being into music at that time and um, having been into it for a couple of years, that spoke very strongly to me. And that was really, I think, the origins of, of wanting to do this project that took a while. It took me a few years to finally get to it and, and have the confidence and the ability to um, I guess, make the music that I'm making now. But that was one of the big inspirations for it was that that open letter. And I think um, a lot of artists out there, I think probably 
you know, have read that and responded in, in a way that, that's very positive. But, um, but yeah, that quote, <laughs> when I read it, it sort of floored me. It, it's one of those things where, you know, somebody else was able to capture um, so many deep thoughts in one sentence and, and it just sort of blew me away. So that was one that I thought was a good idea to include in, in the write-up on the record. That same thought and reasoning also came about with Vatican II, because I remember there was quite a bit of encouragement put towards artistic Christians to try to reach people through modern styles of music and art. Absolutely. And um, and yeah, and it's interesting. I think it can be done well, I think, as long as your heart's in the right place. I mean, I think I, I, think I tend to shy away from anything that would be you know, overtly commercial and, and sort of, I think most people can see through that though. And, and hopefully what I'm doing, and I know a lot of the artists that I'm listening to, you know, you can feel the sincerity that's there. And, uh, you, you know, I think if it's made in the right spirit, people feel that and they respond to it really well. I enjoy how the music of Peter Johnston RV is so thoughtful. The song Wounds I Choose says, I'll take the blame, my friend. I do the same things wrong again and again. I'll be my own saboteur. I can be so immature. That line totally fits me. Why are all of us so foolish? Well, it's it's interesting because that song, um, I try to t- tackle a, a number of different topics, and that's the topic that I sort of come back to continually, which is is the the concept of reconciliation and um, you know confession. And it's one of those things that's just so misunderstood in terms of, you know, people looking, looking into the Catholic Church from the outside. You know, they, they see it as something very bizarre and strange, but it, and it kind of ties back to that whole thing where, you know, the confession of, of bad works is the, the start of good. And, you know, the idea of, of reconciliation, I mean, it, what it is, is it's free therapy by somebody that wants to hear, you know, what your problems are. It's really <laughs> what it is. I mean, it's a conversation um, you know, and it's one of those things that is just so therapeutic and even the nature of, you know, being behind a screen, like a lot of people think that's weird, but the idea is that, you know, it's a conversation that you're having with Christ. It's being facilitated through the priest, but, you know, there's not supposed to be any shame involved or, you know, and if, if somebody was reluctant to, uh, go to reconciliation because they're nervous about being face to face. Well, you don't even have to do that. And so it's such a beautiful sacrament, but also so very misunderstood. And so Wounds I Choose um, sort of tackles that idea that, you know, it's this, you know, beautiful encounter that that we have with Christ. And, um, but at the same time, it's sort of bittersweet because, you know, as, as human beings, we're sinners and, um, you know, we do the same things wrong again and again. And, and, you know, that's why you keep going back and saying you're sorry and hoping for, for more grace and strength and the ability to do better. Um, but, but ultimately, sort of as the line says, we're our own saboteurs, whatever, you know, our weaknesses are that, you know, we tend to hang on to in this life, um, you know, and hopefully by the time we're at the end of our life, we've, we've shaken off a lot of that stuff and beaten those obstacles and challenges. But, um, but that's sort of the idea and, you know, confession and reconciliation, I've always viewed as one of those things that really does feed the soul. It, it goes and lets you lift this enormous weight off your chest and, and you know, you've, you've got such a friend in, in Christ and, and that, um, you know, being able to say sorry, like you would with anybody that you, you may have hurt or harmed reconciliation with them and, and saying you're sorry and, and, and moving on, trying to make, make good on something that you've done bad. It's, it's such a, 
a wonderful thing for the the soul and you know even on from a physiological standpoint like you feel this weight sort of gone um that was more or less what i was trying to tackle there and and hopefully some of that that came across you know something that i've been wondering about you have all these really serious songs but instead of writing songs that dig into faith have you ever given any consideration to recording fluffy love songs (laughs) <laughs> um, there's definitely a couple in there, actually. So the the Be Not Afraid record, the first EP, um, I tried to do a balance of, you know, the religious doctrinal stuff and then also sort of the very human aspect of, of being alive. And there are a couple songs on there that are definitely, you know, inspired by being married and, you know, having a loving wife and all of those things I, I heard you call out is the best example of that. It's sort of, um, you know, just, just sort of speaks to the vocation of marriage that if you, you know, you prepare yourself properly for it, it's such a, an amazing and lifelong thing. And so um, that one, I, I, I guess, is the, the fluffiest love song that, that I've got so far through this project. Um, but I, I, I like that song a lot. And was it fluffy enough to get a hug from your wife? It, it was. It was actually a. Um, it was a little bit of an anniversary present. So I think it. Uh, it. She. She was definitely appreciative of it. Oh, you scored points there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke about this a little bit earlier. Your latest EP, City of God, released just a couple of weeks ago, and it has a great title track. What was your motivation to write it? So um, my, my sister had actually gotten me a copy of The City of God, which I think it's one of the longer texts that St. Augustine had written. And I have to admit that I still haven't gotten through it. It's, it's a dense read and, and there's a lot of history to it. So what I like to do is I like to take it, you know, sort of bits and pieces. It's broken up into a number of different chapters that are sort of, you know, standalone to a certain extent. Um, and so I'll, I'll pick some of those every once in a while and, and you know, just sort of dig into a, a chapter at a time. Um, but that was the the inspiration for the city of God, and I I love the imagery really through the through the whole book. It's really about you know this imagery of two divergent cities, one that's you know the heavenly city where you know it, it's built on faith in God, happiness you know sort of pervades that city, and and it contrasts that with the city of man, which is you know built on love of self and and things that are. Um, you know, the, the decay in this world and, and just sort of contrasting those two concepts. I, I, I really loved that imagery. Um, and the words, in fact, again, are, are from that text and it sort of reorders them in, in a way that I think fits well with the song. Um, but it sort of set a good vibe, I thought, for the whole concept of this EP, as short as it is. Um, but just a lot of a lot of depth to it. And, and again, just sort of coming back to the whole idea that, you know, as humans, we have free will to do what our hearts tell us to do, which is, you know, typically seeking, you know, truth and light and um, all that's good. And then, you know, the, our weaknesses that sort of pull us down. And, and it's just a, a great, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of, of the city of God sort of being what, you know, what we're sort of aspiring to create, hopefully here on earth as well, in terms of, you know, service of neighbor and things like that. But I just, I thought the imagery of it was so strong. And I, I chose for the cover art, I, I guess it was a French translation of it. Um, but that art uh, comes from an older version of that text that um, that was one of the, the illustrations in, in the book, which I thought was pretty powerful too. Well, Peter, I've really enjoyed this talk. Thanks so much for speaking with The Antidote. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time as well.